pray for you, get to know you, and we'll offer you all the help that we can. You're not alone. I've been keeping in my prayers the mothers that have issues in their womb for their children, and we're believing God for miracles. I'm also keeping in my heart what's going on right now in Russia and Ukraine because it is a war, and then there's rumors of wars that are tagged along with that that bring anxiety to this culture, to, to our culture because of what they're doing. So agree with me today that God has everything in his hands, and no matter what's going to happen, I'm going through it with God. Amen? I'm going through it with God. Doesn't matter what the world says, what happens on the outside, that's my decision. And those of you here who are new to Christianity and walking through hard times with God is something new, you know. I can understand how that seems scary. But trust us, who have been around for a while, we've got some wounds and battle scars. God will make a way. And that's not just what Christians say because, uh, you know, we're optimistic. It's what we have lived through. And we have heard enough testimonies to know that it's true. In other words, I have prayed for women that have had problems in pregnancies and seen miracles happen, so I keep praying for them. I'm not just offering up false hope to women that are struggling in their health. I have seen and heard the testimonies of incurable diseases being healed, so I keep praying for them. So it's not just something that we're just hoping and wishing for. I have seen people who have had lifelong addictions and habits that destroyed their life, and Jesus Christ changed them in a moment. That's why I keep praying for those miracles to come. Can I hear an amen from somebody else that's had testimonies of these things? Now, I know the thing that we then hear back as Christians is why don't we see it every time? Like, why don't we just hit that button every time like a gumball machine and get out that miracle? It just doesn't work that way. And I know that sometimes we punt and we just say, well, it's a mystery and we're not okay with that. But we have to learn to trust God with things that we don't understand now. I do believe that there are mysteries and then there are things that we just don't understand now. There are things that I may never understand on this earth. Like I get that, okay? But there are things that I don't understand now and I still need to trust God because it may be revealed at a later time. I remember we were talking like this uh, just a few uh, months ago, and a sister came to me, and I wish I remembered her name and the story in detail, so if she's here or ever comes back, please uh, help remind me of this, but she said, I've got to testify because I was going to have an abortion due to an illness that they found in a, um, a sonogram. Is it a sonogram with the mother's skin? Ultrasound? And the sonogram is an ultrasound. Okay, thank you. Those who are a little bit more medically astute did not scorn me for not saying ultrasound. So thank you. Anyways, no, I did ask for help. So a sonogram is an ultrasound in case you're ever playing trivia or holding the mic and a bunch of people are looking at you when you're telling a story. And so she said, because of what they saw in the ultrasound, that the doctor said it might be best to abort the child. She went against the doctor's advice and said, whether this will be a discomfort for me, giving a stillbirth, whether or not this child is severely handicapped, doesn't last outside of the womb, whatever the situation is, I just have to trust God and go until I can't go anymore. Like, I just have to trust God. And she said the child was born on Christmas Day. The daughter was sitting next to her. She goes, yeah, it's my birthday, Christmas. Was born on Christmas Day, perfectly healthy, and definitely getting along well in life. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> Praise God. I want to see that family back if they're not here today or anytime soon. So do you get it? Like, I'm going to keep praying for those miracles. That 
I can understand now. God wanted to test our faith to see, or, or test her faith, but as Christians to pray for that, because she said people were praying for, to test the church's faith to see whether or not they would trust God. And so I, I, I got it now. The mystery, it's unfolded. I know the end of the story. It's awesome, okay? But I've also had to do the funeral services here of children that have been born stillbirth. I have had to go to the NICU with all of the tubes in and pray and then watch the child die. Hezekiah and Azariah, the two child's names. I'll never forget them. Two precious families in the church. And, and that I don't know yet. I don't know the end of that story. I don't think anybody does. But I'm going to keep trusting God because he is good. He is good and he does good things. There are bad things in the world and there are reasons for bad things. But God is not bad. God is good. And if we learn that simple lesson, we can go through life, still go to heaven when we die, and then get the answers. Otherwise, we call God bad, then go to hell, and not only don't have the answers, but we suffer for eternity. Now, at that point, someone can rightly say, I don't like those choices. I don't like that I either trust God in the bad times or I suffer and go to hell. Here's the good news about that. You didn't choose to be created. The plan has already been set. The bad news is about that. If you don't like the plan, you're going to pay the price. So the good news is I don't have to try to figure it all out. I can just say, I'll wait till I get to heaven. God made the plan that way. I'm going to trust him. You don't like existing. That's not your choice. You exist. How many exist? So the good news is now with my existence, I don't have to try to figure out everything. That's the good news. How many believe God at the end of this uh, life, you're going to figure it all out with God? How many believe that? That's the good news. I didn't create myself. I didn't make myself exist. He knows me. He knows the inside and out of me. I can relax during the times of discomfort. I can be at peace with mental anxiety, and I can stop trying to control things that are out of my control. Or the bad news is I can try to say I don't like my creator. I don't like that he designed things this way, and I'm going to be angry with him and then suffer for it. That's it. Those are your opportunities. Now, somebody might say, I don't like either one of those. I, I like this uh, you know, Hindu faith and the way they answer the problems. Well, let me just help you real quick. Your Hindu faith comes from demons. They're lying to you. There is no such thing as karma. There is no afterlife, uh, you know, a reincarnation after this life. So they're just lying to you. I could lie to you and tell you something that temporarily makes you feel better. Like, oh, you know, this child that died of this sickness in, in life, they'll get a better life in the next life because of karma. And then this and this and this. I could lie to you. No, that's not the way it is. Children that die go into presence with God. He'll tell us why children die in, in, in uh, heaven when we get there. That's it. And so I think we as Christians have to go back to the trust of God as that song was singing and rely upon him for our strength. Because for me, I'm good with not understanding everything. Because now everybody think about it. If God has to explain to me a child dying or a mother dying or someone precious that's close to us dying, now what does he have to do every time we have a question? It doesn't just stop there. I mean, let's just be honest. If we push that button and God explained it to us, and it, you know, and it had to make sense to us. Well, then why not? You know, now God, tell me why I didn't get that job. Tell me why God, I had acne and still have acne in my forties. Okay, I had acne all throughout my childhood, adult, you know, young adult life, and I still have acne. God, tell me that. And how many know if you put God in that place, He's no longer God. You are. 
You see, so it doesn't work even to our own benefit. Are you and I able to handle the information of all that God does for his reasons, for why there's acne, for why there are suffering in the world, for why there is this, why is there is that, you know, why Chicago's weather in spring literally springs back and forth from cool to, uh, you know, cold to hot, snow to sunny days. You know, that's not for us to know. The Bible says that's for him to know. You're not, you know, God is God and you're not. Now, at the same time, if somebody says, well, these things, they, they, they stack up for evidence against God. You know, on, on this one side, we're going to put these things with, you know, uh, with God that we don't like. And we're going to say, because we don't like this, this is evidence that there's not a God. Well, how many know we can also play that same game? So every person that has died wrongfully early in life or suffered will take that life and we'll put it on this side and we'll say, that's evidence against God. Can I hear an Amen. We're going to play their game. But then what do we get to do? We get to take everybody that's alive, every child that's been born healthy, every day that we enjoy under the sun, and we get to put that on the side of evidence for God. Are there more children born or more children dead every day? More children are born than have issues. How many of us are handicapped compared to those who are handicapped? More children are born without handicaps. Disabilities is an abnormal thing. It's not a normal thing. Are you guys tracking with me? You see, so if they want to use something evil happening, say murders in the world, Hitler's, how many know we're not, how many know Hitler was one crazy guy, but all of us here are not Hitler's? How many know we're all not murdering each other today? So if they can use bad things happening as evidence against God, then we should be able to use all the good things happening for evidence for God and what wins every time. The better things I know life for you and I today may not be exactly how we want it. We may not be millionaires all living in mansions. But how many of you have working lungs today? How many of you have a sound mind today? How many of you are able to move about with your own volition today, not be fed through a straw and wheeled in a wheelchair today? How many of you get to enjoy the sun today and feel its warmth? How many of you have laughed, shared poetry, sang a song, drew a picture today, or at least this week? All the beauty of life every day is an evidence. Yes, there is struggle. Yes, there is suffering. But these things have an abnormality to them. They actually have a uniqueness that is to be to us a sign that something is not right. In other words, it's because we in the Garden of Eden sinned that death started to creep in in various ways. Death coming to our children, death coming to us in disabilities and old age, death coming upon our minds and us looking at our brother literally as Cain and Abel did as enemy and murdering each other. See, death began to set in. But what is God doing as Resurrection Sunday is coming? God is bringing forth life out of that death. God is bringing forth a people who will be born again and will not live according to the structure of death, but will live according to life. You and I are actually living testimonies of Jesus' resurrection power because we already have that life on the inside of us. And I will preach this message during pandemics or, you know, endemics, when it becomes endemic. I will preach this during war and I will preach this during peace. I'll preach it when the culture is Christian. I will preach it when the culture is pagan. Everybody get me on that. We'll stand on the word of God. How many are going to stand on the word of God? Amen. And I love it. As one sister said, who struggled with cancer, had to go through the chemo, lost her hair. She was in the first service. This is what she said. I would rather go through cancer with Jesus than without Jesus. 
Because simply throwing up our hands and getting angry with God doesn't change any of the pain we're feeling in this world. I would rather go through the hard times with question marks, trusting God, knowing that at the end of the day, I will be in his presence. He will wipe away every tear from my eye and explain it to me in a way that I will agree with him and I will spend eternity with him. Or I can deny him now, basically flip on him, call him the devil, the author of evil, and then suffer for it in eternity. And sadly, as we get ready to go into our passage for a message that has nothing to do with the introduction, though this is a good message by itself, I just feel so blessed to be here. Are you guys happy to be here? As we will go through life, the questions, I, I want to be very honest with you, the questions will become less as the confidence of God's love becomes greater. I watched my mother bury my sister, her daughter, with drinking and driving, driving drunk and killing herself. I watched her go through that better, and I'm being 100% real with you here because I pastor you and I love you. I watched her go through that better than many of you baby Christians go through losing a job. I watched my mother bury my sister, her daughter, after she died drinking and driving, and my mother's been a Christian as long as I've known her. She's been a Christian for many, many years. I watched her handle that in faith better than some of you handle losing a job, losing a friend. Why? Because her faith was built up over 40 years. She trusted God through the situations that she faced that were not as serious. As she learned to trust God through losing friends, losing jobs, being a single mother, as her first husband was an alcoholic and an abuser, that's probably where that curse of behavior came from to those children. She met my dad, started a new life, and I came out of that love relationship. Um, and I should have died a whole bunch of other ways, but it didn't happen. But listen, she was abused, had to leave, was married at 15, had children, okay, what, ran away from her home had all of these issues in her life, then became a Christian and said, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. After a while, she meets my dad, you know, goes through those life issues. So here she is in her, I think at that time, 50s. My sister's in her 20s, maybe 30s. When that situation happened, she was able to handle it better than the way baby Christians or immature Christians or Christians who have only learned to do things their way, like God when it's their way, she was able to handle it better because her faith was strong. So the question is, what are you going to do in your times of trials and tests? Are you going to let God build your faith? I'm not saying it didn't impact her. I'm not saying it didn't affect her. But it was not to her the devastation that many trials and tests are to immature and baby Christians. To the point that when my mom meets with other women, as they share their testimony with her, sometimes she feels like she almost has to fake the grieving because the one she's talking to is still grieving years and years later. And she has to somehow, you know, walk through that gently because she doesn't want to insult their grieving. But that person is looking for an affirmation in the church. It's been 10 years since I lost my child. And every day I think about them and I cry and I can't get over it. And my mother's saying, I wake up smiling, worshiping Jesus every day. To the point, I'm being honest, she says, sometimes I feel guilty. But I loved my daughter just as much as they loved their child. But I did something different. Instead of putting on the clothes of grieving, instead of doing it the way the world does it, I came to the Lord, I trusted Jesus, and daily he healed my heart until it's still a memory, but the memory doesn't bring the pain like the memory used to bring. And so is God God or not? 
Does he not keep his word? Why are we as Christians going through the world exactly like the world and then expecting them to look up to us and follow us? We grieve like them. We come addicted like them. We have divorces like them. Our children are out of uh, whack just like them. And then we say, now come with me to church. Now, some of you, you know, you offer no different of a life to them. And I'm not saying this to condemn you, but I want to encourage you. If you're in a situation right now, make the one decision that you can make. I'm sticking with Jesus. And then whatever the what ifs are, it's just a what if with Jesus. Well, what if I lose my job? Well, Jesus will be with me, and then just fill in the blanks, and I'll go to the homeless shelter, and I'll ask him for a place to stay, but Jesus will be with me. What if everybody leaves me? Well, Jesus will be with me, and I'll start making new friends. Does everybody get that? What, what, if I, what if I become sick and die? What if I'm no longer here for my children? I will hand my children to the care of Jesus because no one's here forever, and Jesus will never leave them nor forsake them. Children love Jesus. Mom's going to die soon. You see, every what if met with Jesus loses all of its power. It loses all of the scariness about it because we trust God. We go, God's in control. It's when we have this, uh, uh, you know, this unhealthy carnal desire for control that when we lose it, we feel that somehow God's not keeping his word. Let me just give you an insight right now. You never controlled this world and you never will. You didn't control where you were born and how you were born. Why were you born in the 70s and 80s and 90s? Why weren't you born in the 12th century? Why were you born a female and not a male? Why were you born to this family and that family? You were never in control of any of it. So stop trying to control it now. Now, are there things that we do in this world that's out of control, only in the control of God? Absolutely. We do what God says is in our capabilities to do, and we do it with him, with joy, unspeakable, full of glory, because his presence is with us. I mean, just think about it right now, and oftentimes this is a great thing to do, to bring perspective. Look at other people and how they're dealing with situations that are just as bad or worse than yours, and how they're finding hope and trust in God. Imagine right now Russian tanks driving down your street. Do you still go to church on Sunday? That's what the Ukrainians are doing. That's out of their control. Some of the men, they're out there fighting. The rest of them, they're having church. Now what are you going to do? You can't do anything about it. You're going to stay up all night and worry. Their worst nightmare, whatever that is, 2,000 miles away, is happening right now. Is God still God 2,000 miles away? He is still God. There are people right now that are in a hospital room that are looking at the people they love the most and are getting ready to let them go. Is he still God there? Yes, so what we have to do as Christians is say, it doesn't matter what comes against me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. It doesn't matter who is out there roaring as a lion. The Lord is my shepherd. The moment you and I determine that will be our state of living, now no weapon formed against us will prosper. We are more than conquerors. When we believe it, now we'll live it. In other words, it doesn't start with the outcome first. It starts with the faith and the belief first that leads to the outcome. You don't wait to go through the divorce to say you have your sound mind. You start off right now with that spouse who has cheated on you, who has left you, and it seems it's going to tear apart the whole family. You start right now. I will have a sound mind. I will have what God wants for me, and nothing will destroy this family. You will come through that divorce with the same thing you started with, God and his sound mind. Are you tracking with me? You don't wait to get the, 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 the victory to say you have the victory in Christianity.
People are calling now this dream casting and visioneering and all these different things. It's been called faith a lot longer than that. We have faith. We speak faith. And that's how we live. And we are not those who deny the realities of this world. We are the solution to the world's problems. Christians have been the greatest doctors. We invented the modern hospital health care system. Still to this day, you can hardly go to a hospital without it being called Saint something. Are you listening to me? You're going to go mostly to a Methodist hospital, the Lutheran hospital, St. Mary's. Why, why isn't there Bhagavad Gita hospital, you know, Harry Krishna hospital? Why has the American culture been known for the place you go for medical treatment? Because as Christians, we weren't afraid to start dealing with the problems of this world. That's why the majority of homeless shelters and social programs ran by Christians. We've always been there. We're going to continue to be there. When they don't love their own people, we send Mother Teresa and our missionaries over there. Are you listening? I said, are you listening? So Christians are not those who say mind over matter. Everything is peachy keen. I'm happy. There's no problems. Cringe, right? We're not those weirdies. We're like the Lord is my shepherd. I live in Ukraine. Give me a shotgun. Guide my steps today. Help me take out some Russians. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm going through sickness. God, help this doctor. Help me. Help the family. We're going through it. Every place we are in life, there is a time for war. There is a time for peace. There is a time to build. There is a time to tear down. All of this has already been told to us in our Bible. In Ecclesiastes, there is a time for everything under the sun. But one thing is for certain, whether it's war, whether it's peace, whether it's build up, whether it's tear down, I'm going through it with Jesus Christ. That's where I'm going. That's who I'll be, and that's what I'll be doing. Amen? And by his grace, we will see that when we don't know what's going on, God is moving and doing things in, the, in what we would call the secret. Behind the scenes, God is working things out. I remember as a pastor, I felt like I was failing, you know, early on in the ministry. And we were just starting to have our first baby, our children, you know, growing and living in a bad neighborhood on, on Lawndale and Potomac and uh, just, just not feeling like I was living up to what a pastor was. And I wanted to quit. I wanted to get out. I just felt like there was something else that I needed to do because the pressure, it just felt like I don't belong here. I shouldn't be failing like this. And, and when we, especially as men, get into a situation where there's pain, we want to fight or we want to flight. We want to get out. And there was nobody to fight with. There was only a few people in the church. So what am I going to do? Just keep being angry at them. Uh, you know, multiply, multiply. Go get more. Go get more. You're not doing good enough. Uh, that Praise God. It's not the route that I went. I just said to him, maybe you guys will do better without me. Keep the Bible study going. Keep you know, ministering in the city. I'm going to go to Bible college, get more degrees. I'm going to get better at this. And everybody told me it was a terrible idea, starting with the church. That's a terrible idea. Don't do that. My wife, that's a terrible idea. My parents, that's a, who are Christians, you know, that's a terrible idea. My pastor from New Orleans, that's a terrible idea. But I still thought it was a good idea because that's what we do in pride. That's what we do when we're hurting. That's what we do when we don't want to stick through it. We make up reasons to get out, and we say nobody understands us. Can I talk to somebody in this place today? But thank God he didn't let go of my heart. And I said, yes, Lord, I'll stay. 
And within a few months, the Bible college that I had attended said we're, said we're going to start hosting the Bible college as cohorts, as extensions in local churches. We would like to pay you, bring you on staff. You can stay in the church. We want to recruit you to help us to start doing this in other places. Within a few weeks, everything in my entire ministry changed. My finances were changed. My abilities were changed. What I was doing was changed. But if I had quit at that moment, I never would have gotten that call. My name would have been on the list. Hey, give, give Joe a call for, for his church. Oh, no, Joe just left his church. And I just wonder how many of us, we quit before the breakthrough comes, and we never know what the breakthrough was going to be or where it was going to be at because our name got taken off that list. Because we had quit, and they never told us, you know. They never told us, hey, I was thinking about you, and we won't know until we get to heaven. As D.L. Moody said, some of us as Christians, we're going to get to heaven and look at a room full of stuff that we like and that we could have used on earth, and we're going to ask God, God, hey, I appreciate you showing me this room, but it looks really cool and nice. It, you know, it would have been nice to have it on earth. Why are you showing this to me? And then D.L. Moody says, God's going to say, these are all the prayers you never prayed. These are all the things you asked for, uh, you know, you needed, but you never asked for or had the faith to believe for. Here's what I wanted to do for you. I wanted to bring, just like it says in the, in the Lord's Prayer, I wanted to bring heaven on earth. But you were too busy quitting on everything. You were too busy just praying mumble prayers, not prayers of faith. And so I never got to send it to you. I wonder how many of you here today are moments away from your breakthrough. Would you stick with God and stick through the process in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 17. I won't be so long in the message, but I just felt like encouraging somebody today. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse, um, starting in verse 7 today, I want to give you probably one of the most underrated stories of Jesus in the Bible. One of the most underrated if I were to ask you right now, especially, especially those of you who have either come to this church or other churches, in your whole time as being a churchgoer, have you ever heard this message preached? Most of you would probably say, I've never heard it preached. And if I was to be honest with you, I haven't preached a message from this text, except when I did just a few days ago to the Bible college, and I felt so encouraged to bring it to you now. Second services uh, for the next season, I'll be going through uh, spontaneous messages since we just went through the book of Galatians. So come ready as I do uh, to hear what the Lord is saying. I want you to think about this, and some of you might not have even read this before or heard it in the Gospels. It's that unknown. I haven't preached it that I can ever remember in 20 plus years from a pulpit, aside from a few days ago when I did for the Bible college, and I cannot, by God's grace, remember ever in my 20 plus years of Christianity this story being preached. Are you ready? You're interested now in it? Here it is. It's a few verses. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to that servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now, sit down and eat. No, you're not going to say that. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Ooh, come on, somebody. Stepped on a lot of our American privilege right there, didn't it? Now watch this. It even gets tougher for us. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, 
We are just unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Today's message is on unworthy servants. I want to say this story again. I don't want anybody to, get, uh, to miss it. Make sure you read it through. Take your time because I don't want you to think I'm saying something the scripture doesn't. Here it is in a nutshell. Jesus is calling upon them to use their culture to answer the questions. These are rhetorical questions that everybody there in the culture should know the answer to. Shouldn't be hard for them to figure it out. It starts off with a servant doing some work out in the field. Now, before we think that Jesus is affirming the slavery that existed in the United States in the South, that is not what is happening here. People at that time took scriptures like this to use it to their advantage to beat and mistreat people that they considered to be subhuman. At the same time, do not think to yourself that cultures have always existed as we have here. In their culture, there were masters and servants. You could become a servant a variety of ways. You could have become a servant because your culture was canceled and conquered. You could have become a servant because you were in debt. Instead of just saying bankruptcy, you would have to work back what you owed to people. You could have become a servant, or I, or we could have become servants, simply based on economic situations as bosses and employees. We don't know which kind of arrangement was here. Is the master someone that has conquered these people and they're a servant? It doesn't matter to Jesus. Could the servant have been in debt and needed to work for this person? Doesn't matter to Jesus. Were they simply coming to get a job and work as an employee with an employer? None of that matters. So what you and I have to do in our 21st century is get over whatever you think could be wrong with a master-servanthood relationship because it did not bother Jesus. In other words, 21st century ideas of work did not come into Jesus' mind when he told this story. Do I think 21st century ideas of workmen's comp and rights and all of that would be important to Jesus at some point? Absolutely. But right here, Jesus is not asking you to feel sorry for the servant. As a matter of fact, Jesus wants you to see yourself as his servant in this exact same way. So instead of us going, oh man, Jesus told a naughty story that would make BLM upset, you're actually supposed to read this and say, everybody, including BLM, better be a servant like this because he's the master. We are his creation. How you and I get along with him is going to be up to you. You can make your choice, but not your consequence. If you choose to say, well, I don't want to be anybody's servant, as some of my old rock and roll friends used to say, I would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven, so be it. On judgment day, God will let you go to hell and be where he is not. But for those of us here who take serious the creator-creation distinction and who trust Jesus, who we've loved up until this point, how many love Jesus? Shouldn't let this story change your love about Jesus. Uh, we should trust him and know that whatever is happening here between master and servant it is still for the servant's good. 
Oh, isn't that something? Small amens on that. I know we all believe in our personal rights and freedoms and liberties, and trust me, so do I. But when it comes to God as creator and we as creation, we better get into our minds. This is what it looks like. For the one who created the heavens and the earth created you, and you will stand before your maker one day, and you better have said, Jesus is Lord, which means what? Master. Jesus is master before it's too late. Otherwise, what does he say? Every knee shall bow. Boom. Boom. Break them kneecaps. And every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. On judgment day, no one will be standing proud against Christ. He comes to rule with a rod of iron until his enemies are his footstool. And then the Bible says he tramples them with the grapes of his wrath until the blood raises as high as a horse's head for over 100 miles. I'm not ashamed of that, Jesus. I think some of us come to church and hear me say this, and it's like, this is icky, Pastor. When do you get to the stories that really encourage us? This is supposed to actually encourage you. It's supposed to encourage you that God conquers evil. And that those who have been our enemies and we've turned the other cheek to, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, actually turns into your applause and not into you saying, I'm ashamed of my Jesus. You see, on judgment day, the wicked will be saying, oh no, oh no, oh no. But the Christians will be saying, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. Just like when you watch a team play, there's always a winner and there's a loser. Don't be with the losers. Our God will have vengeance. Our God will judge. Only God can judge me, as the meme says, should scare the hell out of you. That's a real day. And so when Jesus tells a story to us in the 21st century, I would be amiss to start preaching like this. We're just unworthy servants, but he's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. Because then you clapped your hands, shook your, your holy backside for Jesus, got excited in church, but you didn't understand what you were reading but I haven't even heard it preached this way because that's kind of hard to twist this into it. How would you just get to shucking and hollering when he literally told a story that makes you out to be an unprofitable, as the King James says, an unworthy servant? How hype can you get with that? You have to really do some pastoral uh, acrobatics to make this a shouting message without dealing with the context first. Because the context is this. Let's all get it. A man is sitting inside, not in the field, doing whatever he wanted to do. And there is somebody out there in the field working hard, long hours, been there from sunup to sundown, dirty and tired, and is coming in. And Jesus says, hey, guys, come on. When that person comes in, does he now say, hey, I'm going to get something to eat? <laughs> of course he doesn't. <laughs> of course he doesn't. That's how Jesus is thinking. Come on, guys. When that guy comes in after working 12 hours, does he come in and say, hey, man, I'm ready to eat. Let's just run to eat. Of course he doesn't. You know what? He's ready for the master to tell him to do something else. 
excuse me, you're too dirty to serve me right now. Too dirty to serve you. I've been out all day. Yeah, you're too dirty to serve me because you're not eating right now. Please go get yourself ready quickly. Then come back here. And then I'm going to eat and you're going to serve me. And when I'm done and I've had enough, there'll be plenty for you. That just gets us mad. Like I said, do not think to yourself Kuta Kinte stories. I'm going to twist it on you in a minute. This is not the color purple. This is not based on race. This is anybody. A black man could have owned a white man. A Chinese man could have owned another Chinese man. This is a master-servant relationship where Jesus is saying it is beneficial for the servant, has nothing to do with race, and it's in a culture that everybody knew these answers. Hey, when that servant comes in from working in the field all day, do they just sit down and eat? No. They listen to the master, and when the master says, go get ready, prepare my dinner, and then I will eat, and you eat, you know that's what they're doing. Then the next thing he says, Jesus, he's like, hey, let me, let me ask you, after that person did all of this, did they get told thank you? Come on. Of course not. And my family, everything's pleasing, thank you. Understand this culture. After that servant had done this, is he told Thank you. No, most people are listening to this going, of course he's not told thank you. He just did it because that's what he is. And what is he? He's an unworthy servant. That's what he is. He's unprofitable. In one sense, he's good for nothing except to help this master. Now do you know why the South made a cult and tried to make this into the slavery we saw? And why we had a civil war and other Christians began to kill their own brothers and cousins over this? Because they misunderstood Jesus' point. This does not now mean we mistreat a man. This does not now mean we dehumanize a person. It just simply puts it into perspective. When there is a master and there is an employee, when there is a master and there is a servant, this is how it goes. Master makes the work. Master tells the servant what to do, and the servant does it. And then Jesus said, this part you now have to deal with as a Christian. Highlight the three words after verse 10. So you also. Highlight that, please. So you also. Notice now it just went from some crazy example of what they used to do back then to Jesus saying it right now. And aren't you glad you came to a church where a preacher understood this passage to explain it to you? Because most of you wouldn't know how to explain it now. Man, that's harsh, Pastor. Some of you, just out of Americanism, would just want to do with the way, get away from this. Because it would, in your mind, support a mindset of slavery. Get away from this passage. It has nothing to do with nothing. Don't look at it. Just don't look at it because there's a servant here. There's a master. There's somebody who does all this work and is unappreciated. This is not the Bible. Just don't look at it. Others... We'll try to make up stuff on the spot. Let's say you were out witnessing and preaching with us. You would say, well, 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 it, it really means this, and then it really means, and you're like, you don't know what in the world you're talking about. Jesus' questions meant to give you the obvious answer. Will that person come out of the field and eat before serving 
the master? Of course not. Will that person, after having done all of that, get a thank you? Will he, talking about the master, will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? Don't make up stories on that. Jesus knew the answer. It's a rhetorical question. No, he won't, Jesus. Now, like I said, you can ignore it. You can try to make up stuff. Or you can let it set like it's setting in this room. And I can read a room pretty well, and I know how it's setting. And now you know why most pastors don't want to mess with it. But I want to tell you here some of the greatest encouragements you'll ever hear as a servant of Christ. As a matter of fact, hidden here is a pearl that if most of us can get past the offense of what we think is there and actually hear what is actually there and what Jesus is saying, you'll see what I believe is the answer to us getting burned out in Christianity and thinking that God owes us something. Let's start from the beginning and see if you caught it. The servant is there doing work, not being abused, not being mistreated. Never says the servant was mistreated, right? Not whipped, not made to change their name, deny their culture, be dehumanized. Southern African-American slavery and those who practice it are damnable. The Bible rebukes it in Timothy. Slave traders will go to hell. That's not what's happening here, though, is it? Now that we're over the offense of what we think it is, what's happening? Someone's working and being entrusted with things. We actually see this all throughout the Bible, that there are servants that do good things in the Scriptures. Joseph was a servant. Others in the Bible were servants, but specifically those in the Bible who have been servants and have done it unto God have received great blessing and actually became equal to the one they were working for or even above them. How many know stories like that? They started off as a servant. They then became a master and had their own servants. How do you not know this is not the beginning of a success story? You see, as I went to where many of you would have if you understood the context. If I didn't give you the context, nobody would have went there. But because I gave you the context, I had to go there to what it wasn't to show you how quickly we are blinded by what we think is happening. How do we not know this is not the beginning of a success story? There was once a young man who used to ball with LeBron James. He would go out every day into LeBron James' house do all of the work so that he could get lessons from LeBron James. Sometimes he would feed him first before he ate, but then LeBron James would spend the rest of the evening pouring into this young man until he became a great basketball player. Would you now look at that story different? Would it be worth being a servant of LeBron James, doing what he asked you to do so that you could have a proximity to his wisdom and to his knowledge? How do we not know that this servant did not come from a situation like that? How do we not know possibly this servant could have been a Russian and when the Ukrainians were taking over the land that was already theirs, they spared this Russian and his family and said, this is what you must do. I'll let you live but serve our family in Ukraine. So you were once an enemy of our state but we will let you live. And we'll let you stay. Here's what we want you to do. Work our fields. Take care of our families. And pay back to society what you have destroyed. Now you see it differently, don't you? Now how do you see yourself when it comes to God? See, that's where it makes the difference in your life. See, if you 
I'm just God's slave, and I just, this is the way you think. I'm just God's slave, and he tells me not to date this one, but this one's ready to give me sex, and that's what I want. And he tells me not to have that job, and if I just had that job, I could have this car. Man, I just, I just feel like I work, and then after I work for God, I work some more, and I'm not even told thank you. Is that how you look at your relationship with God? Or do you look at it like this? I was a debtor who had went out and spent everything I had and spent other people's money until I was broke, but somebody brought me in, paid my debts, said, come stay in my house. This is all I want you to do is look after my field and my sheep, and when you come in, take care of my needs, and there will always be food for you. You see, imagine now you walk into that situation. You, you are from the outside walking in. Now think about this, and you see me being that slave. Imagine that. I'm that slave. You're coming to visit that master. I come in from the hot sun. I'm all dirty, and I come to get, you know, get the, the, you know, ready to wash myself and clean myself to feed you guys. And imagine you saying to my master, you say to him, hey, man. Hey, man, give this guy a break. Man, he's been out there all day. Man, this, this, this is not the right thing to do, man. Don't, don't have him serve us. Have him serve you. Now, man, uh, you know, let him, let him eat with us. Imagine if I said to you, no, 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 no. No, man, this is my privilege. No, man, don't, no, don't feel sorry for me. This master has taken care of me when others didn't. This one paid my debts when nobody paid my debts. This one gave me a place to stay, gave me dignity to work in the fields, and he said that I can multiply, and then I can begin to start my own business. Man, don't worry about me like that. It's just work anyway, and he treats me well. And there's something on the other side of this that I see that I'm going to get. You see, that's the way God wants us as children to be. Instead of us walking around into this world complaining Talking about, well, being a Christian costs me all my friends. Being a Christian means I can't go to the club anymore. Oh, that's such a sad day. Being a Christian means I can't, you know, get drunk. No, we're supposed to look at the world and tell them, hey, man, no, no, no. Don't feel sorry for me. I like going to the Bible study. I like after I did eight hours, ten hours of work. I like getting ready and coming to the youth group and serving these young people. Man, that's my privilege. You see, it's the perspective of how you see it. Now, what about that thank you? Listen to what he says here. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? You see, in that world, that was not expected. That servant didn't need to be told thank you. And everybody would shout back and be like, of course not. He's not going to get thanked. But how many know Jesus told other stories other than just this story? How many know a story of Jesus saying that as a manager who gave out bags of gold, he will come back and reward them, and when he rewards them for their hard work, he will say, well done, my good and faithful what? Servant, now enjoy your master's rewards. So what was Jesus flipping on us here? You know in your culture, you will work for people who won't even say, Thank you, and you know that's the right thing you should do, and yet many of you won't work for me, and I'm about ready to give you heaven. Kardashians ever thank you for keeping up with them? How about all these favorite football teams and all this? You pay money for just to walk into their doors. Every now and then they'll say, thank you for my fans. Yeah, and then next week you're in the new city. 
Now you're playing for our competitors. I'm just so happy to play for the Bulls until I play for the Lakers, and I'm going to say I'm thankful for L.A. Yeah, but when do they ever really say thank you? They don't. When does the world ever really thank you? Some of you might have a good boss that does, but most of you don't. Most of your customers really don't thank you. But yet you still go there. You still go there. You still get mistreated. You still get treated as average, as basic. And yet you and I go there all the time and do it. Whenever I need some extra spending money because I have six kids and big dreams and hopes and plans for them and for me, I love to do uh, Uber and it helps keep me humble because it reminds me people don't care. People don't care about you. I've brought people into my brand new cars. They don't care. It's a brand new car. I, had one, I used to give out mints. I had one dude in the back. I, I didn't know what he was doing, but I do know now because of what happened. But I heard him just putting these mints in his mouth. I was like, man, you're like eating five of them is what I'm thinking. I then go back and check my brand new car. He was taking the ones he didn't like and setting them on the side. He put them all over my, my seat. He didn't care. Man, I'm in a guy's brand new car. He didn't care. I'm getting free mints. But the question is, did I go the next day to, to work? Yeah. yeah, I did. Did I go and pick up the next person? Yeah, I did, even though I wasn't expecting a thank you for them. How much more so should we go to work for a God who created us, who gave us a purpose and a plan, who's more than willing and joyful to thank us? You see, most of us struggle in Christianity when we deal with these two issues, and I'll get to the third one here in just a moment, but these two issues is where it's at. We have a different perspective of what Christianity really is. We think to ourselves we're owed something from God that we're really not. We think that God now has to give us more things to bribe us to do the basics. So in other words, I'm not rich, I don't have a lot of money, so don't ask me to tithe. If you want me to tithe, God, well, then give me more stuff. And then after I waste a lot of that stuff and I can't fit it on my house and I put it in a garage sale or, uh, you know, or I put it in a storage, after I do all that, then I'll think about tithing. But God doesn't do that, does he? God just starts right now, tithe. And so people have issues with that. Other things people have issues with is go spread God's word. You're supposed to go spread God's word. First thing Jesus says to Peter, come follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And what do we say to God? Oh, I got too many problems. God, I mean, I'm just too messed up. I'm too busy. I need someone to preach to me, God. I'm going to wait until I get it all together to that place called all together. I'm going to wait for that place called ready when I'm ready, and then, God, I'm going to obey you. And what does God say? If you can't do it now, you'll never do it. Let the dead go bury the dead. I got to go do a funeral. He said, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You see, we have it backwards. Instead, we're supposed to have the narrative of what it really is in our hearts. We're really the creations of God. Can I just go deep here with you? And I wish I had the video playing in the background. Where you and I are held together by subatomic particles that unite to form our flesh and our organs that then allow one particular organ that looks like a melon to start thinking thoughts 
and dreaming dreams. And not only that, but you're able to have relationships and communication and to have good days and bad days. You are given this beautiful thing called life that is then formed by the right Goldilocks scenario on a planet certain distance from the sun with a certain gravitational fold that if one of these dials to a hundred millionth of a percentage was changed, we would all be evaporated. We show up here, most of us, with parents who love and care and guide us on the right path to do the right thing. And now we want to stick up our hand or our finger to God and say, you owe me something, buddy. You, you owe me more than this. Scientists haven't even begun to figure out how in the world we framed the words that made sense to say you owe me more than this. How did a brain made of chemicals communicate something that's not of chemicals? How are we making sounds and vibrations that come out to be thoughts and feelings? And yet we then say back to our creator, you owe me more than this before I serve you. I talk to young adults. I've been to U of I, you know, University of Illinois, and they want to tell me, well, I'm waiting for this, and I'm waiting for this, and my career for this, and this, and this, and this. You mean God created you, and you're literally looking back at him negotiating like you're talking to the guy from Pawn Stars about what you'll do if he does this? You're bartering with God? No, how are we supposed to look at it? We're his servants. We're here to do things for his blessing and his glory because we did not create ourselves. And the Bible even says at one point, will a pot argue with its potter? Well, that's what we do. We are a pot arguing with our potter. Well, I wish I was this kind of a pot. I wish I was made at this type of a way and in this type of a generation. And God says, what foolishness is that? God can take this pot and destroy it at any time, or he can use it for whatever purpose he wants. John Wimber said it like this. God owns all of us, and he can do whatever he wants with us, spend us on bubble gum, or have us go to the moon and stake our, plan, uh, our flag up there. It's up to God and his plan and his sovereignty. Who are we to say, God, you can't? So when we come to the perspective of what this story Jesus is telling us, we end with this last point. We're unworthy servants. Man, I don't deserve this. I don't even know how this got here. I don't even know how this works. I don't even know why this feels the way it does. I don't even know how we do this. But I'm here, and I'm grateful, and I'm willing to do what he asks. And if it is God's word and not man's, then your servant is listening. You want me to go out and work in the field today? Yes, Lord. That's what I'll do. Imagine being in the Ukraine, bringing up that example. You want me, God, to stay here with my family? That's why I want you to be. Yes, Lord, I'm going to stay here while the bombs are going off. That's, that's my duty for you, Lord. I don't deserve a thank you, but I'm just going to do it for you. Do, do, does God ever ask us to go the extra mile? I think he does all the time. Have you ever gone the extra mile for God? Didn't he ask his son to go the extra mile? After Jesus being whooped and beaten, how come Jesus didn't just stop and say, okay, we reached the limit. <laughs> I'm about ready to destroy you all. You did your thing. You showed how wicked you can be. We're done. 
No, Jesus allowed them to do what my grandfather did to rabbits caught in a trap, nail them to a tree. He was allowing us to nail him to a tree. And he took it. Why? Because what did he say? Watch this. He said, I want you to be servants, but I will be the servant of servants. I will do things that you will never dream of doing to show you how to do this. You, you, you don't wash each other's feet, Peter, but I will wash your feet. See, Jesus was showing us that what we get offended by here is actually what Christianity is at its core. It's what Christ is at his core. Christ is serving the Father like this. He didn't say back to the Father, Father, why did you send me? Why didn't you come yourself? Don't you see how wicked these people are? Father, they're not mistreating you. They say they love you. They're mistreating me, your son. Get me out of here. He said, I do whatever pleases the Father. Does it please the Father for Christ to walk on earth and we spit on him? Yes, because it shows how good our Father is and how good and patient Jesus is. So Jesus allowed himself to be spit on, his beard to be pulled out. And yet we now say back to Jesus, Jesus, I got a line that I just don't want to cross here. You know, if you ask me to do overtime, I'll think about it if I get, you know, pay and a half. But just doing it to do it, Jesus, you know, that's what the pastor does. That's what those nuns do. That's what those monks do. Jesus, I just want to be an ordinary Christian. Don't, don't ask me after I've been working in the field all day to go OT for you. I only do that for my favorite movies, binge watching on Netflix, and for my favorite sport teams. I only give them OT, God. Jesus is waking us up, saying, who's really your master? I don't have time to read the scripture, but I have it in Acts 6 for a reference. I want you to think about when the disciples were working together, and they began to build the church, and there was a time that they all couldn't do the same thing. So the apostles, the original ones, minus uh, Judas, replaced now with Matthias, said, hey, let's get some deacons. Let's get some servants. Actually, name them servants, deaconos in the Greek. Let's get them to help us to do more. And it was an honor. People wanted to do it. And seven of these men were chosen to do it. And they began to wait on tables, literally become waiters at the soup kitchen. But they didn't complain. They became our heroes. And in the very next section of Scripture, we learn about one of those deacons preaching his first and his last message. His name was Stephen. He started preaching, and they got upset. And they said, stop preaching. And Jesus said, you haven't finished yet. So Stephen kept preaching. The sun was hot. It was dirty. And Jesus said, will you serve me one more time, Stephen? And Stephen said, what do you want, my Lord? He said, serve me the dinner of my word in front of these Jews, and then you'll eat. And Stephen preached until they martyred him with stones, plugging their ears, cursing him. I can only imagine what it was like when he heard from Jesus, serve me one more time. I know you've been out there, Stephen. I know that you've bore the heat of the day. But Christ could say, I know what you've been through. No one else can. Even I can't when you and I share similar situations. Only Jesus knows it like the way you do. But Jesus said to Stephen, Stephen, you're not done yet. Would you serve me one more time? 
I just wonder what kind of Christianity we want as a church. I want to serve with people that say Jesus is worth it one more time. I know I've served God in my 20s when I didn't have gray hair, but I had spiky highlighted tips. <laughs> but he says, no, you're not done yet. But Jesus, I'm coming in off the field. Yeah, you're coming in off that field. You're married now. You're inside the house. You've got some things going for you. It's not as hard as it once was. But before you sit down, Joe, before you say you're done serving me, Joe, would you grab this plate and serve Chicago one more time? I'm just asking anybody here today that feels like quitting as we started off the message, are you willing to trust your Savior and your Master like that? Because nowhere in here was that servant mistreated. Nowhere in here was he or she used or abused. Nowhere in here did it reflect bad on the master. It's just the master's priority was what the servant was to do. That was the point. Do you put the master's priorities as your first and foremost priorities? And too many of us, let's just be honest, we're looking for a thank you down here before we do it. And Jesus told us that, and I believe it even shocked people of that day, that we're supposed to be ready to serve him like that because you may not get thanked and probably won't for all the things you do for Jesus here. How many of you read your Bible this week? Did you hear an audible voice from Jesus tell you thank you? How many of you withheld from, from a slapping or cursing out somebody and showed patience? How many of you avoided road rage? How many of you did something out of patience this week with your family, your children? Did God give you an audible thank you? Thank you for not blowing the horn at that person in the car for 20 minutes. Thank you for not cursing out your coworker. Did anybody get that thank? I didn't, and I felt it. But you did it anyway because you knew God was watching, because you knew he was worthy. Daryl, would you come, please, in closing? The three things that we have to get over to become the kind of servants that God wants us to be is, number one, change the narrative. What kind of servant are you working in that field? Because I believe all Christians will be called to work for Jesus. Are you the one that feels sorry for yourself or are you the one that feels rescued? I remember when I first went to Mexico, Chilapa in Nayarit, did mission work there. And I was watching the dear sister set up the church in the village. And I saw her picking up chairs, which were to me probably heavier than a woman should pick up. I'm kind of old school like that. And she said, no, 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 pastor. This is what I do for Jesus. I'm, I'm telling you. What was she showing me? Don't feel sorry for me. I'm working for the master. You don't know my testimony. In other words, you're saying, you don't know where I've been. This, this, this inconvenience of moving a chair to here, to, that's nothing compared to what God's done for me. Coming in out the field and making a 20-minute a dinner before I eat, that's nothing compared with the master's done for me. It's nothing. Don't, no, don't feel sorry for me. This is what I, I have to do this. Same thing in India. When I went to the villages, we would drive out there. I mean, man, we would drive for hours. I would get so car sick. I would, they would stop. We're throwing up. We're sick. We'd all fight to sit in the front row. And can you just imagine a bunch of gringos all sitting in the front row, nobody sitting in the back because we were getting so car sick in India. Telling you the same thing. I would see them working for Jesus. I would offer my help before the crusade. No, this is what we do. I remember at one place I said, 
I'm ashamed now, but I must admit I said it. Don't take up any offerings. I can't bear to see them give. They have so little. I want to give it all to them. And the pastor said to me in India, he said, no, man, this is what they have to do. They have to give. They have to give. They cannot hold it in. They have to give. You have to let them give. Don't feel sorry for me. When my friends first saw me preaching the gospel, some of them thought that I had joined a cult. Others of them thought that I was playing a game with a documentary, you know, like, a, like, a, like a trick, like a prank with a documentary film crew, like some of those shows that were out at that time. So they would come up to me at Fryman Square and different places where I used to skateboard, and I was preaching, and they would poke at me to see if I was real. And then they would see me on the Christian network. They had these, like, local channels, you know, like 69, you know, and I would preach on them. They would poke at me, call me up, and they would say, are you really a Christian? Are you really one of those? Man, I feel so sorry for you. Man, what is wrong with you? So don't feel sorry for me. I love doing this. I remember one time I was preaching out there, and one of the friends who knew me, had saw them just ridiculing me. Skateboarders are not nice to Christians in general. Okay, in general, that crowd is not the ones you really want to go to, you know? And I remember one of my friends pulling me aside like, dude, 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 bro, I can't watch you get treated like this, man. Like, like man, we don't roll like that, man. Like, never would people talk. I'm not saying I'm the strongest of the strong. I'm just saying most people did not dog me out like that in life, okay? And I remember one of my friends pulling me aside going, man, you can't let them keep doing you like that. And I said, listen, I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm not fighting flesh and blood. I'm going to keep preaching to them. If they don't want to hear it, I'm going to keep doing it until someone wants to hear it. Then some of my friends started to get saved. And some of them said, watching you, I could get them on the phone right now. They said, Joe, watching you take the scorn of your former so-called friends in Fryman Square made me question what this thing really was. You see, people are waiting for us to show that we love Jesus that most, that, that much. Like, like it's really worth us doing that. That we're not just casual cultural Christians anymore. We're not just the ones who go to K-Love conferences and, and, and buy the books, but we're actually the ones who stand out there and keep preaching even when things don't look cool anymore. We're still there because our Jesus is worth it. Why are you preaching in your high school? Don't you know you've lost all your friends? Because Jesus said to serve him one more time. Why are you standing out here in front of the factory before we go in? Because Jesus told me to serve him one more time. We don't quit. We don't give up. Number one. Number two, we see what Jesus is doing for us in the process. So we change our narrative. I'm actually honored to be here. Number two, we see what we are getting in the process. After that, you may eat and drink. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord and dwell in the tents of the wicked. That servant's getting well taken care of. Man, I get to eat now with Bill Gates after I've served him all day. All right, let's talk business, man. I want to do what you do. I got, to, I got to hang out with LeBron James. I want to do what you do, man. Help me out. You see, once we realize he's actually taking care of us, he's providing for us. We're never alone. You are never alone when you are serving Jesus Christ. What did he say at the end of Matthew? I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Some of you feel like when you do this work for the Lord, it's like, oh, nobody knows. Yes, God knows. You are there, and you should be eating and drinking with the Lord. 
I remember one time I had two buses running in New Orleans and both of them quit on me because the buses were getting shot at. I was working in the housing projects from, from Calio, where Master P was from, to the Magnolia, the Hot Boys. I was working in these projects, and they all hated each other. And then they began to get smart and begin to figure it out, like, man, these kids from the Calio are actually on the bus when they go to the Magnolia, so let's start it all here. My, my bus drivers from the area, from the hood, quit. I went and got a CDL license. But don't feel sorry for me. I should have died and went to hell when I was 18. So here you would see a white guy driving a school bus. Never had a shot at when I was driving it, but certainly heard the threats and things thrown at it. Honk the horn. Just imagine that. Come on in. I did it for months. I remember some of the young people would say, man, we're so happy you did this because, you know, don't let these other kids ruin it for this, this, and that. And I told them, I said, listen, as much as I love you, I don't do this for you first and foremost. Jesus told me to come here and pick you up. So whether you guys liked it or didn't like it, whether they shot at the bus a hundred more times, whether it was a good day at church, because sometimes they would be like, well, maybe you shouldn't come back. No, no. As long as he told me to drive that bus to the Magnolia Projects, that's where I'll be. When are you and I going to get over that those are the best places to be? Because now I look at it and what I used to feel like, oh, dear God, I hope I don't die here. Oh, dear God, what's happening this week? Do you know I look back at those, those times and this is how close I felt to God? I'm being honest with you. Some of you like, I only feel close to God in the Bahamas. Be honest with you, I can hardly hear God's voice there. I'm too busy fishing. I'm too busy eating conch. I'm too busy doing my stuff. 10 o'clock at night, Calio Projects, big yellow school bus with people from the Melphamine and Magnolia on that bus. This is how close Jesus and I felt. And then lastly, he does more for us than we deserve. The old preachers used to say it like this, would you still serve God if there wasn't a heaven or hell? And I think for this generation, we need to answer that. Because some of you are just like, man, I, you know, I'm doing it because I don't want to go to hell and I know heaven's going to be good. Let me just ask you something. What if the Sadducees, they were a group of people who did not believe in life after death. That's why they were sad, you see. Little pastor joke. Let's pretend they were right. No life after death. No eternal reward. No eternal punishment. God created you. Everything else is the same. Jesus died for you. The whole story is the same. There's just one little small little difference now. There's no eternity. So whatever you do for God is between you and God in this life, and then it's over. Whatever you didn't do for God, whatever you wanted to do out on your own, no fear of punishment. Life is over. How do you live for God now? I'm still living for him. Why? Because he's my creator. He made me. He's been special in my life. And if there wasn't anything after this, it's enough to have said I knew him. Think about that. I knew my master. You ask a Muslim, do you know Allah? Of course they don't. Talk to these Hindu gurus. Do you get close to that guy? No. Buddha, do you ever meet God? No, I just meet an electrical force. Sounds like fun. What did you get to do in life? I got to hear God's voice in the morning. 
I got to be empowered by him to help others. I got to see people change and be impacted in ways that I will carry with me for every day of my life. I've preached before. I've watched people fall on their knees and weep. I've seen guys come into my house on drugs, being homeless, and now have families. I've watched men abuse their wives, become husbands. I've watched children become, you know, respectable to their parents. I've seen love. I've watched God's word come true. I'm good now. If that's what he said was it, it's over. That's it. I'm good with that. He didn't have to tell me thank you. He made me. He deserved it. But what does he do? He goes further than that. He says, not only am I going to thank you, I'm recording everything you do for me. So there is no action, no thing, no sacrifice that you've ever made that doesn't go on notice. I remember coming from New Orleans to Chicago and the U-Haul breaking down about four or five times and me getting stuck along the highway, being there by myself. And I remember Jesus saying to me, Chicago's worth it, keep going. Almost 17 years now, is Chicago worth it? Should I keep going? Come on. Is your family and friends worth it? Keep going. Why? Because you're going to be rewarded for that. God's going to reward you for every time you reached out to your family and said, hey, I just want to tell you one more time, Jesus loves you. Well, I already know that, and I already told you what I think about that. Hey, that's okay. That's cool. I understand this. Listen, I just want you to understand. I haven't stopped praying for you. I love you, and so does Jesus. I just want to let you know God's got a plan for your life. I just want to let you know there are things that God wants to do that you haven't seen nor ear has heard. It's going to be the best thing ever. I just got to tell you that one more time. We keep going. My mother, as I said, buried my daughter. That was before I was a Christian. So imagine my mother, four children, all alcoholics, all drug addicts, me, a high school dropout. But she kept praying. She kept praying. And I could imagine my mother coming in from the heat of the day. I've been out in the world for years now. I could imagine my mother working at the church, her coming in and saying, I'm just done, God. Would you please put a table before me to eat right now? I don't feel like serving you. And I could just imagine Jesus saying to my mother, daughter, pray with me one more time for Joe. Before you sit down, before you say you're done working, pray with me one more time for Joe. Let me hear your prayer for Joe. Serve me one more time. I came to know Jesus Christ at my mother's kitchen table because she said, I'm going to keep serving. It's not over yet. My time, the, what does the Bible say? He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. If you understand our eschatology, I believe we get raptured and celebrate with Jesus for seven years while the world gets judged. He will do that. We will sit with him. We will eat with him. We will all be there and the angels will serve and we will be resting. <laughs> Don't feel sorry for Gabriel. That's what Gabriel wants to do. Trust me, half kid. We will be there, but what will we talk about? We'll be there as Christians. The thief on the cross will be there at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you guys tracking with me? We'll all be there, but what will we talk about? What I want to talk about with Jesus is Logan Square. I want to say, Jesus, remember that time I went out there? And a woman pulled down her pants and peed in front of us. And then you told me to go back out there. 
Jesus, I felt like we were this close. Man, you were worth it. I, I am happy you asked me to do that. Jesus, remember that time you told us to stand in front of Nini Steli just to say the gospel one more time for this generation to hear? Even after they threatened us, Jesus, I felt like we were this close. I want to sit down and eat with my master just like you do. And we're all going to do it one day. Trust me, this, this life will end and we will be there. But I want to talk about what we did together. I want to talk about the joys of serving my Jesus out in that field and that it wasn't a burden, it was a blessing. Will you join me on that day? Would you stand up, give it up for Jesus today? He's our master. Let's stand up together. I know I got emotional. Don't like to see a grown man cry, some of you, but man, I can't help it. Jesus touches my heart so much. With abandoned altar workers, would you come? Let's close in prayer. God, these tears are for you. I see others being touched. Would you just tell them right now you love them? We love you, Jesus. You set the example. You showed us how to go the extra mile. We're so thankful you did. You kept serving the Father even to the point of a crucifixion. We love you. Gracias, Señor. We adore you today. We love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, would you surrender your life to him? I can tell you as a fellow servant, he treats his servants so good. He'll treat you so much better than the servant, uh, than the master of this world, than the devil. Surrender to Jesus. Start to pray something like this. Father, I ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life, to be my master. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Say, forgive me of the things I've done against your word. Talk to him right now. Just say, Jesus. And watch what he'll do in your life as you start to con confess your sins and confess them as Lord. For the rest of us right here, have some of us got a little complainy lately? Have some of us got a little bit like Karen? Come on, we got a little Karen inside of us trying to snap our fingers at God and tell him how he should be running our lives. Would you be honest with him right now and just repent of that? And just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been seeing it wrong. I, I, I don't see it the right way. Lord, forgive me. If I'm going through this divorce, I'm going through it serving you. God, if I'm going through this, this breakup or this problem in my family, I'm doing it with you. God, if I'm going through this loss of a job or friendship, I'm going through it with you. I'm not complaining. A few more moments right now. Talk to him. Let this message touch you. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Just be honest with him. Just say, Lord, it's hard. I'm tired. We assume that the person was tired to the point where he didn't want to go on anymore. We don't know that. I could see the servant being strong and being made aware of the strength that he had left to keep going. God's going to help you today. He doesn't want you to be used and abused. few moments, talk to him about anything right now that you feel has been hard and it's difficult. Let him know right now you're going to serve him, but you need his strength. Lord, I pray for strength in this place. I pray for strength for those who need it right now. You said those who wait upon the Lord will mount upon wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and will not faint. I pray for you to strengthen all the weary in this place. Strengthen those who feel tired and serving you, oh God. And then all of us right now, ask the Lord to lead you now where you can go and serve him. To see others come. To see others join with us. We have baptism Sunday next week. Maybe they'll even get baptized. Come on, somebody pray for your lost friends, your lost sons and daughters, moms and dads, co-workers, neighbors.
Lord, we want to serve you by serving them. Send us into their lives. Give us open doors. Help us, oh Lord, to preach your word to them. I'm not done yet, Jesus. You still got my life, Lord. Use it however you want. A few more moments right now. If you don't know Jesus, talk to him. You're more than welcome to come forward as well. As well as those who might be going through things, you can come forward too. If you need prayer, you just need strength. The Bible says two or more gathered together. We got your back. And then anyone here today want to join with me in praying in these last few moments for revival to come. As we get ready to sing, let it rain. I want to ask God to send out his spirit and his refreshing rain upon this city to a group of people who aren't done serving them yet. To a church that says, we're not done serving you yet. They say right now there is so many churches closing and pastors leaving ministry because of what happened after COVID. Even Christians aren't coming back to church like they hoped they would. I just want to know, is there anybody here that says, I'm still serving? I'm still serving. I'm not done yet. It's not marriage supper of the lamb time yet. I'll sit down and eat in just a moment. He'll take care of me. I know my, my master's got my best intentions in mind. He's got my back. Don't worry about me, but I got to keep serving. A few more moments right now. Let it rain. Let it rain, and then we'll dismiss. But would you pray it over this city today? Lord, pour out your spirit. Start in us, oh God. Give us strength to go through the fight. Help us to keep our faith, oh God. Open the floodgates of heaven. We want to set the example for our children. We want to set the example for our friends and our community. Let it rain. Come on, Jesus. With your presence, we can make it. The presence of God makes the difference. God is with us. I feel the wind. I feel the wind of your love. How many feel God's feel wind today? Wind we'll dismiss spirit. right after this, but I want to leave encouraged. I want us to leave empowered. God's able. I feel the rain of your love. Nothing can hold us back in Jesus' name. Oh yes. Come on, sing it out one more time. just the voices where we sing it out together God is in this place when we sing it in faith God is in this place Okay.